0: We're going behind the curtain. I know that
2: all of my struggle and sacrifice is opening the
0: door for the next. And it might get uncomfortable.
1: Why would you want to play someone who you think is a bad person? It's the moral gray areas that are interesting.
0: I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch this weekend, Friday, December 1st to Sunday, December 3rd. We're counting down the weekend's top five must-see picks from TV and movies. But first, your entertainment headlines. Tom Holland is not ruling out a return to play Spider-Man, as long as the story is up to snuff. Speaking to reporters at a recent Critics' Choice Association press conference, Holland addressed his potential future as Peter Parker. Official plans have yet to be announced, but the actor confirmed that he has had discussions about where the wall crawler's story might go next. According to Collider, Holland told reporters, quote, All I can say is that we have been actively engaging in conversations about what it could potentially look like for a fourth rendition of my character. Whether or not we can find a way to do justice to the character is another thing. I feel very protective over Spider-Man. I feel very, very lucky that we were able to work on a franchise that got better with each movie, that got more successful with each movie, which I think is really rare, and I want to protect his legacy. Holland added that he, quote, "...won't make another one for the sake of making another one. It will have to be worth the while of the character." Still, the actor hopes a fourth movie happens, adding, If we can figure that out, I would be a fool not to put the suit back on again because I owe everything to Spider-Man. I love the character and the people I get to work with, so I would love to tell another story, but I'll only tell it if we can find the right one. Earlier this year, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige told EW that plans for Spidey's next appearance were still in the writing phase. And Disney CEO Robert Iger has addressed the Marvels flopping at the box office, pointing a finger at pandemic-related production restrictions. Percy NBC. During a panel at the New York Times recent Deal Book Summit, Iger said, quote, The Marvels was shot during COVID. There wasn't as much supervision on the set, so to speak, where we have executives that are really looking over what's being done day after day after day. Though reviews of the movie were fairly solid, fans did not rush to the latest Marvel release, starring Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Iman Vellani, with the same fervor as they have in the past. When it opened in theaters earlier this month, the 33rd installment of the MCU premiered with a franchise low of $47 million domestically. The film currently sits at $77 million and $187 million globally, putting it on track to become the first MCU title not to cross the $100 million mark domestically. Reflecting on the movie's lackluster box office performance, Iger added that after so many years spent watching Marvel movies exceed expectations, the studio might have to be more realistic about each film's potential saying, quote, I'm not sure another studio will ever achieve some of the numbers that we achieved. I mean, we got to the point where if a film didn't do a billion dollars in global box office, we were disappointed. That's an unbelievably high standard. And I think we have to get more realistic. He also admitted that Disney has made too many sequels in recent years, but he was quick to clarify that it doesn't mean we're not going to continue to make them. For more on both of those stories, plus other news, reviews, interviews, and more, head on over to EW.com. Tis the season for holiday movies, one of which kicks off our countdown at number five. Amazon Prime Video has a present for viewers to unwrap with Candy Cane Lane. The movie stars Eddie Murphy as Chris Carver, a Christmas-obsessed dad who becomes consumed with winning the holiday light competition in his neighborhood. In his quest for victory, his wife Carol, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, and his kids Holly, Joy, and Nick Get swept up into a supernatural adventure involving a scorned elf and a curse that brings the twelve days of Christmas song to life. For director Reginald Hudlin, it was a chance to make the Christmas movie of his dreams and reunite with Murphy, who he directed years ago in the romantic comedy Boomerang. Have a listen.
2: I loved it for many reasons. Like I love Christmas. I love Christmas movies. I've been it's been on my list to make a Christmas movie. Um, and even though my kids are a little older now, they're 16 and 18, uh, from the time they were very little, uh, when they were little, I was doing Django Unchained and they were like, when are you going to make a movie for us? <laughs> uh, a movie where there's not literally blood dripping from the walls yeah. of the set, you know? <laughs> so I got to fulfill a promise to my kids and, uh, Eddie and I were reteaming, teaming um, on a movie that captured where we were in our lives mm. you know cause like when Eddie and I made Boomerang we are both single guys living in New York going to the same clubs that kind of thing so it was a movie that kind of captured you know uh, a version of what we were doing and now we're both married with kids and living in LA so it's a you know so um So this is a movie that captures kind of what we're about right now. I mean, Eddie really loves being a dad, you know, Uh, and I love being a dad. So, you know, 30 years ago, we talked on the set all the time about our lives and we're still doing it.
0: The script written by Kelly Younger is inspired by Younger's own experience growing up on the real Candy Cane Lane in El Segundo, California. Hudlin recounts bringing the crew to experience the neighborhood before filming began.
2: All Christmas celebrations are legitimate. Um, but yeah, what was great for this movie was to grow to Kelly Younger's house, right? Uh, you know, where his parents live. And his parent, his father really is that guy. I mean, he makes all these handmade decorations for the yard and he's you know and he's a truck driver he's but he's also sort of a folk artist and he makes original stuff every year so his neighbors start borrowing so you know there's like four or five houses that are you know display areas for his his, his work and then you see the fire truck go down with santa and they're lighting up and it's so joyous and it's so wonderful when you go Well, this is just a beautiful tradition. What's wrong with this? So we really wanted to capture just the magic uh, of, of, you know, what people really do. Uh, Because, you know, real life Christmas, it doesn't matter how you do it. You you know, as long as the, the love is there, then the magic's there. You know, we brought the whole crew down and they had hot chocolate and all this awesome stuff. So we celebrated with his family. Then we walked down the street and... We were it just not that we didn't need any more firing up, but yes, we got even more fired up about making the movie.
0: It is quite magical. Candy Cane Lane is now streaming on Prime Video, bursting with plenty of holiday cheer, Southern California style. It's trivia time. Candy Cane Lane is surprisingly Eddie Murphy's first Christmas movie. However, Murphy has made a Christmas special that's a spinoff of one of his movies. Was it Dr. Doolittle, Shrek, or Daddy Daycare? Stick around for the answer. The Power Universe continues to expand at our number four pick this weekend, the season three premiere of Power Book 3, Raising Kanan. The series, a prequel to Power, follows young Kanan Stark, the character originally played by Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent Power. Kanan, played in this series by Makai Curtis, is still trying to rise in the drug game, but last season had loads of obstacles for the ambitious young man from Jamaica Queen's Southside. At the end of last season, Sal hit Rock's crew hard, and a lot of beloved characters died. However, Rock, Unique, and Kanan survived, though that doesn't mean all is well between Rock and Kanan. Here is a preview of where things are headed this season.
2: I just want to let y'all know that I'm done doing what I've been doing. From here on, everything gonna be different. So you thinking me and you good now? Like I said, Kanan, we got a lot to talk about. I don't take nothing from her no more. I'm trying to make my own money, man. Give her one more shot to make it right between y'all. Hell no. Mowdy. Everybody got their hustle. You just gotta find ours. Southside is real dangerous right now, Kane.
3: You working for me? I work for me. That's what you don't understand. And this ain't about what you did. It's about who you are.
2: I need somebody I can count on. Thing is.
0: I ain't shooting my way out of problems no more.
3: I disagree.
0: Well, this season is sure to be full of fireworks, especially since Tony Dan's crime boss, Stefano Marchetti, is returning in a larger role. You can catch the season 3 premiere of Power Book 3 Raising Canaan tonight at 8 on Stars. <laughs> Colin Mockery, best known for his improvisational chops on Whose Line Is It Anyway? stars in the new holiday film How to Ruin the Holidays, alongside Archer's Amber Nash, who plays a struggling comedian coming home for the holidays to discover that things aren't so great with her doomsday prepper dad played by Mockery. But while we waited for its streaming debut, we had to ask Colin Mockery, what you watching?
3: A British show called Taskmaster very funny show it's five comedians uh every series different comedians every series anywhere from seven to ten episodes and each comedian is given certain tasks to do something like count the amount of beans in this jar or get this giant ball through a course that uh you may get butted by uh, goats the more bizarre the better and every year i think well this is the best cast ever Then the following season, no, this is the best cast ever. It's uh, run by the host, uh, Greg Davies, a very funny uh, comedian and actor from Britain. It was created by Alex Horne, who is the co-host. What I love about it, the Brits really have the panel show formula down pat. They managed to exploit the uh, comedians' eccentricities and their humor. Uh, The show is fun. It also... Uh, twist your mind as you try to compete with the comedians in a way to figure out how to do that task in the best way. It's a high recommend. Catch it.
0: And there you have it. Mockery's new film, How to Ruin the Holidays, is available on demand. There is no arguing that Michael Jackson's Thriller was one of the biggest, most game-changing albums of all time. At our number three pick this weekend, Thriller 40 goes behind the making of the iconic album from Jackson's perfectionism to his ambition to become the biggest pop star in the world. Here's a preview.
3: There are two things in the music business before Thriller and after Thriller.
2: Thriller set the standard of what it was to be a megastar. Michael had such a clear vision of what he wanted. He was determined to change the way he was perceived.
1: I came in angry. He was a perfectionist. I wanted the best. I look in the mirror, and I said, biggest selling album of all time.
0: The
3: greatest singers do what the music tells them to do.
0: Everybody waiting to see the next the big Michael
2: Jackson album. As a matter of fact, I asked what Mama say, Mama say, Mama kusa mm-hmm. meant. Or oh, it don't mean nothing. Just sing
3: it. Mama say mama saw, mama saw. He had the ambition to become the biggest star in the world, and he did it. You could feel the excitement in the room,
2: knowing that we were doing something special. There was a sense of culture. And felt like he's rocking with us. We can dance to his music. He saw value in street culture, popping, locking. No one had ever put those elements together. Nobody seen the moon walk. Huh?
0: This documentary features interviews with contemporary stars and the people who were involved in the creation of the album, including Usher, Will I Am, Mary J. Blige, Misty Copeland, and others. You can catch Thriller 40 on Saturday at 8 on Showtime or streaming the same day on Paramount Plus with Showtime. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Our top two picks and soundbite of the week are coming right up. What to watch? We'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must-not-take-yourself-too-seriously and 6-1-since-that-matters and... What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to.
3: Download the new Bumble now.
0: Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. We are fully in holiday mode between Christmas movies and TV specials. Demi Lovato included for A Very Demi Holiday Special, which airs next Friday on the Roku channel. Among her guests are Paris Hilton, Haley Bieber, Jojo, Trixie Mattel, and Tiffany Haddish, who's making ugly Christmas sweaters along with Demi. That moment from the special's new trailer is our soundbite of the week.
2: I thought that bar mitzvah meant you get on a bar and you show your mitzvah. Number two.
0: With May-December, our number two pick this weekend, director Todd Haynes returns with some of his signature touches, a story about the interior lives of women, artifice, and sexual transgression, Loosely inspired by the real case of 1990s tabloid fixture Mary Kay Letourneau, the film follows actress Elizabeth Barry, played by Natalie Portman, as she enmeshes herself in the life of the Youth family to prepare to play Gracie in a movie. Decades ago, Julianne Moore's Gracie went to prison for her sexual relationship with then-13-year-old Joe, played by Riverdale's Charles Melton, as a now-grown man. But as Elizabeth strives to find her way to the truth, it only gets more challenging to suss out what really is. Julianne Moore tells us more about why she wanted to portray Gracie. Have a listen.
1: Well, it's really about the storytelling. Like what story is she telling the world? Who she thinks she is, you know. And I think that that was one of the things that was so compelling to me about the screenplay is that I mean, here is this woman in this household who's created a narrative that she's expressing to the world. Is living a life where she considers herself to be, first of all, she's hyper feminine, right? She's really very, very, it's like she's swallowed gender culture whole, <laughs> um, and and considers herself to be kind of a, an innocent, you know, someone who needed protection. Her men and her brothers and 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 was trapped who had been trapped in her marriage and in this kind of place of a feeling that she didn't have any power right she was rescued she felt she was rescued by a love affair but the love affair was a thirteen year old boy but for that for that to be true for that story to, to make her, you know conviction that she's the one who's being rescued that little boy has to be a man and that makes her a child Mm. And so it's like she's always, you know, her narrative is always like, you know, when she says, I am naive, you know, I always have been. And it's, it's this thing of, you know, it's like a willful denial, I think, of the actual story that, that's fascinating to me. Because, of course, the distance between what actually happened, which is that she transgressed greatly, greatly, and, and the narrative that she's projecting to the world is vast, and so in this fastness, there's this huge amount of emotional volatility.
0: Well, Moore, as well as her co-stars Natalie Portman and Charles Melton, are heating up the Oscars race with their performances. So if you want to get a head start on your ballot, don't miss May-December, now streaming on Netflix. Beyonce brings her record-breaking renaissance world tour to a theater near you, in case you missed the trek this summer or if you just want to relive it again, but this time with some rare behind-the-scenes footage from the notoriously private alien superstar. Here's a bit of the trailer.
2: I want house you I have nothing to prove to anyone at this point. We are creating our own world. This is my reward. Nobody can take that away from me.
0: Beyonce's well, brand was never built on relatability, like say Taylor Swift who for all her accomplishments can still pull off being the pop icon next door. No, no. Beyonce's singularity as a once-in-a-lifetime artist is what drove ticket sales for her Traveling Disco Fantasia, both an immersive visualization of her 2022 Grammy-winning album and a victory lap of her 20 years as a solo artist. But while Beyoncé makes it look so easy, Renaissance, like her 2019 musical documentary Homecoming, chronicling the making of her historic Coachella performance, pulls back the curtain to show just how much effort goes into effortlessness. don't know what you're for it. Today ain't the day
3: i okay.
2: I'm in the mood to be deep in love
1: how do we fix this because
2: this is a very big problem i got this drink in my cup oh i'm out of breath <laughs> we just need to simplify time is my biggest obstacle it's impossible to not realize how fast it's going when you are looking through the eyes of your children I think about all of my heroes and all that they endured. I know that all of my struggle and sacrifice is opening the door for the next.
0: Well, for all the gravity Beyonce's projects can inspire, however, Renaissance is purely about having a good time. Silver LeMay optional. It is in theaters now. And finally, this weekend, the answer to our trivia question. Candy Cane Lane is Eddie Murphy's first Christmas movie, but he has done a spin off Christmas short for one of his movies. Did he do that for Dr. Dolittle, Shrek, or Daddy Daycare? All right, maybe that one was a little too easy. Of course it was. Shrek. There are two Shrek holiday specials, actually. Shrek the Halls and Donkey's Christmas Shrektacular. No promises, but Candy Cane Lane likely features less Shrek wordplay than either of those two specials. And that, folks, is it for our show this weekend. We will have more news and must-see picks for you on Monday, so be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations more of which can be found at EW.com. I'm executive editor Jared Hall. You can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at EW and at Jared Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. This episode of What to Watch was written by Dustin Nelson, Maureen Lee Linker, Lester Brathwaite, and EW staff. Edited by Sammy Junio and hosted and produced by Jared Hall. What
3: to Watch.